tennis fans, and welcome to yet another edition of the Southpaw Slice. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Southpaw underscore Slice. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590 and find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. Well, Canadian Bianca Andreescu had another impressive run at a WTA event last week, reaching the semifinals in Acapulco. Felix Ogie-Aliassime flashed some of that clay court prowess again in Sao Paulo, reaching the quarterfinals. And Roger Federer really stole the show, hoisting his 100th career singles title, winning an eighth time in Dubai. And now, starting this week, we have our first Masters 1000 event of the men's side opening from Indian Wells. And of course, it's also a WTA premier events so it's a very exciting uh time for the tennis season mike but i i guess i want to lead off with roger federer because he really did steal the steal the show this past week and he kind of just quietly went about his business had a few tough early matches um and then kind of coasted the rest of the way and it's just incredible that we have a second men's player uh who's hit the century mark in titles yeah it was going to be pretty interesting to see how federer bounced back after uh, the break after the Australian Open, and no better place for him to return to the tour than in Dubai, which is obviously one of his favorite cities, favorite tournaments in the world. And he captures his eighth title there, 100th overall, which is just remarkable. And he's nine behind uh, Jimmy Connors, who for a while seemed like he was so far uh, ahead of Federer. And now people are, are talking about, you know, not only can he do it, but uh, is he? Is he? It looks like he, he's he's going to do it potentially if he uh, keeps on at this rate. Well, that's uh, I guess the question that's on people's minds is: uh, Is it feasible for Roger Federer at the age of thirty-seven to win nine more titles and tie one hundred and nine, win ten more titles and surpass it? Obviously, if we went back to twenty seventeen uh, when he was just making that return at the Australian Open after the the lengthy time off from the back injury, we would have thought that would have been impossible. But we also would have been we would have thought it would have been impossible to get to twenty Grand Slam titles. So. Um, I, I still think for Federer, this is a stretch. Uh, I think the odds would be stacked against him if you say, mm, how long is he going to hang around on the tour? But uh, really, these past couple seasons, even if we consider 2018 a dip in form, this is still a player who's uh, number four in the world and has picked up three Grand Slam titles over the past uh, you know, two and two and a half years. Yeah, first of all, Ben, he's going to have to stay healthy first and foremost uh, to even have a shot here. Uh, On top of that, he's not continuing at the clip he was at in 2017, where he won seven titles. Last year, he dipped to four. He's got one already in 2019, but it seems like the younger guys are really coming along and, uh, you know, eager to sink their teeth into the bigger tournaments. So uh, is he realistically going to be able to get, you know, four more this year, five next year, uh, and next year he's going to be 38 years old? It's it's tough to believe, but how many times has he surprised us in recent years as well? Yeah, and, and look, it might have to do with, uh, we know he's a, a player of such a tremendous longevity. Uh, he, he's been on the tour for, for oh so long, but will he be playing even past the 2020 season? These are questions uh, we don't know. One, one question we had was answered uh, by the Dubai tournament director that uh, Roger Federer will be back in Dubai in 2020. Uh, barring any injury, uh, he plans to play there next year, which, uh, which su- suggests he plans to play for the 2020 season at least. So, so that's, uh, we'll 
will be fascinating to watch. And uh, look, he's hunted, hunted down so many records in his illustrious career. I think a lot of people would peg him as the greatest of all time right now that it's certainly not a big deal if he doesn't catch uh, Jimmy Connors' record. And it's pretty incredible to me that Jimmy, Jimmy Connors, sorry, is the guy that's uh, the leader uh, in terms of overall career titles. That's true. Because he doesn't have, you know, the most slams. Um, and he, certainly we think of him as, as prolonging his career into his late 30s. But I believe he won his 100th title when he was still in his early 30s and then accumulated the, the other nine, you know, bit by bit towards the end. But kudos to Jimmy Connors for holding that record. And uh, as with so many records, I guess if he loses it, no shame in that being to Roger Federer. No, no, uh, no shame at all. That's something we'll be watching. And of course, Roger Federer uh, will be a definite threat at Indian Wells, which is uh, just getting underway. And we will preview that event uh, further along in our our show. I want to move over to uh, the clay courts because in Sao Paulo, uh, Felix Ojeda-Aliassime was continuing his clay court campaign in Brazil. And uh, just just a fantastic clay court swing for Felix. And we have to remind people that he's just 18 years old and now up to world number 58. And uh, uh, again, uh, starting this tournament off at the Brazil Open with some big-time wins against top veteran players. Again, he beat Pablo Cuevas. Albert Ramos Vinoyas is a very experienced, tough clay quarter. He beat him in his second match, and then it was uh, Laszlo Ger of Serbia getting him, uh, getting the best of him for a second consecutive week. But uh, just definite, remarkable strides for Felix over this clay court swing, which uh, I think last week we discussed thought it really all started in, in Canada's Davis Cup tie. And now my question for him is how is he going to fare in a transition over to the hard courts? Yeah, that's not going to be easy because he's dictated so much of his early season onto the clay where he's obviously comfortable and hitting his stride. Um, but, uh, you know, Felix can can have success on, on both surfaces. He's, uh, he's shown that in his junior career uh, coming along and now transitioning as, as a pro. It, it will be difficult, though, because there's going to be other players he's going to face that have had more recent hard court match play. So we'll see how that turnaround turnaround story goes for him. But regardless, what a great start to 2019 uh, for the kid. Well, the 18-year-old kid. And, uh, you know, no shame in losing to Laszlo Gere in back-to-back events. We, we heard of Gere's story, losing both parents. Um, and, and so you, you can't help but, uh, but feel happy for him and the success he's had, even now getting a, a seed at, uh, at Indian Wells. Yeah, that's right. And for Felix Ojeda-Aliassime, it's a main draw wild card uh, at Indian Wells and and a much-deserved wild card. And we, we just found out moments ago his first-round match will, will be an interesting one against uh, Cameron Norrie, uh, the tough British player who, who's been playing some pretty decent tennis as of late, just reached a semifinal in Acapulco. So that will be a major challenge ahead for Felix Ojeda-Aliassime. Uh, we'll get over to Acapulco. Nick Curios kind of stole the show there. It, it started with this early second round match against Rafael Nadal and what an incredible match it was three hours three sets and Kyrgios ekes that one out saving three match points and then rolls off victories over Stan Wawrinka John Isner and then beats Alexander Zverev that has to be the best title and best week of his career and really saved him in the rankings because he leaps almost 40 spots I believe to world number 33 and I feel like he's just completely turned around his season with one tournament how can you ever predict what this guy's gonna do it's just absolutely mind-boggling because just when you think he's kind of giving up on tennis again or, or showing like it's it's not a priority for him. He, he ends up with a week like this where he knocks off all those great players that you just mentioned. 
uh, you know, none of them were easy. Uh, straight sets in the final actually was was perhaps the the easier one of his uh, matches all week long. But knocking off Nadal, Vavrinka, uh, Isner, and then Zverev is, I mean, that's something that really a top 10 player should be doing. And we haven't seen that from Nick Kyrgios yet. So is this a sign that that's forthcoming at some point if he gets it together here? Or is he just teasing us and he's about to uh, go back to his usual um, perplexing antics? Yeah, I mean, that's the question. And it's obvious he has top 10 talent and pedigree when he's interested. Uh, Kyrgios is now 6-6 six and six all time against the big three. That's just staggering to have played 12 matches against Rafa, Novak, and Federer and pick up six wins. And I was thinking back a couple years ago, Kyrgios playing at the Miami Open against Roger Federer. Federer won that, but it was three tie breaks and a very, very dramatic third set tie break where Kyrgios was kind of against the crowd, the entire crowd pulling for Roger Federer, who eked that one out. We had a similar scenario in Acapulco where all of the Mexican fans were cheering for Rafael Nadal. We had Boo Birds uh, <laughs> raining down boos on Nick Kyrgios, and he kind of played the role of villain and somehow pulled off a victory versus Rafael Nadal. And uh, it's just a, a fun, mercurial personality to have on the ATP Tour, whether you like him or hate him. I, I think tennis is a little more fascinating with Nick Kyrgios in the mix, especially Nick Kyrgios playing motivated tennis and playing playing his best. Yeah, and yet, you know what, Ben, and, and I agree with you, but not everyone's going to agree with your statement about what he brings to the game because they find him frustrating, they find him disrespectful, and they find him hard to relate to and, and understand. And so if he could get his act together and every now and then he shows signs like he's maybe figuring out how to handle the media, how to handle you know his fellow competitors, and how to handle himself more so than anything – but it, it still isn't happening with any regularity or consistency. And uh, I think, you know, Nadal made some comments after the loss that uh, we're sort of calling Kyrgios out on his behavior, which uh, maybe you can shed a little bit more light on. But I don't think Nadal was off in, in making those, uh, those comments. Yeah, uh, some people thought it was because, uh, look, Nadal loves to stand far, far back behind the baseline facing some big servers to give himself that extra time, get a return back and play, and then regroup with his footwork and get the point started. Kyrgios at one point tried an underhand serve, which is obviously fair play, but maybe goes against kind of the unwritten code sometimes in tennis. Uh, I don't know if it was that incident. I don't know if it was Kyrgios kind of shouting at the fans angrily at some points in that match, but afterwards, Nadal praised his talent uh, said he, he could be a Grand Slam champion, but then he also said he felt he lacks uh, some respect for the public, the rival, and himself, was his quote. So that kind of stirred up uh, a bit of controversy for the week. Obviously, Rafa, as well, had the large fan base at Acapulco, uh, but that was definitely a frustrating tournament for him. I think probably arriving there as the favorite and only getting uh, two matches in and having to go home against a player he feels should be in the top 10, and when Kyrgios got there, he was ranked number 72. Now, at least the ranking changes. He's up to number 33, uh, so maybe you don't get such bad matchups in the the future but Nick Kyrgios will have to keep uh, pushing on with this level of motivation to keep his ranking and keep it rising up. Uh, we'll switch to the women's side in Acapulco. Eyes were on Canadian Bianca Andreescu and again uh, she went deep in an event. She reached the semifinals, won two matches against seeded players including a, I, I thought an impressive win against Mihaela Buzarnescu and she's 21-3 and in, in 2019. To me she has to be Look, it's still so, so early in the season, but uh, if you could pick someone for break, breakout kind of player of the year, I'm looking at Bianca. 
I'm wondering what, what she would have to do the remainder of the season not to win the WTA breakout player, you know, newcomer of the year award, because as it stands now, I believe she's 21 wins and three losses on 2019, which is just staggering. And she's proven that her results early in the year in Auckland were no fluke. I mean, she's not winning tournaments or getting the finals in every event, but she's getting deep and she's going up against far more experienced, you know, tricky opponents like Buzernescu, who you mentioned, and she's, uh, you know, beating them in, in that case in straight sets. So, um, it, it's fantastic. I think what Bianca's got to be mindful of is just, um, you know, sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Pacing herself through this grueling season as she's getting way more matches in the first two months than probably she's ever had before. Saw her having her back, her troublesome back, worked on at times in Acapulco, and she's really going to have to balance that youthful exuberance and, and desire to want to play week in and week out with sort of the long-term consequences and the grind of being a professional uh, week-in, week-out athlete, which is, uh, you know, new for her at the age of 18. Yes, it is, and new for her are are going to be these big-time events that she's going to, giving herself an opportunity to play in Indian Wells, getting that main draw wildcard as well. She's up to a career-high number 60. I think, Mike, there might be the realization, which is nice, that uh, given such a fantastic start to 2019, she's only 18 years old, that she's sort of playing with house money for the rest of the the year and just having these opportunities to pick up points along the way, boost her ranking. Uh, When we spoke to her, the top 40 was the goal and she continues to to make these deep uh, tournament runs to semifinals finals she had that first title as well so uh it's a great opportunity uh transitioning now over to indian wells and getting an opportunity in the first round and we'll see how she fares uh on the big stage but she's handled every challenge in front of her so so well uh, absolutely and i'm just you know maybe to transition to that indian wells draw i'm looking at what she's got right now the first round is against the Romanian uh, Irina Camilia Begu, and that's probably going to perplex Romanian fans because Bianca did spend some of her formative childhood years developing her game in Romania. But that one is, is definitely a winnable match. as I, I believe she's got about a 10-ranking uh, point uh, uh, spread on, on her opponent. And then she faces, would face, Dominika Sibokova, the 32nd seed, who really hasn't done much lately in recent memory, if I'm, if I'm correct. So I think now's a prime time to, to face Sibokova. And you move beyond that, she might get Sloane Stevens. And Sloane has struggled to find her form in 2019 as well. So Bianca's going to be a player that none of those uh, women I just mentioned are going to want to face. And I think, well, she could go out early just due to match fatigue. Um, and at some point, uh, needing a bit of a break. She also has a wonderful opportunity, I think, in this uh, Indian Wells draw. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Irina Camilia Begu, the first opponent there, uh, a veteran of the tour, but certainly probably her top tennis has been behind her for a couple seasons. I certainly see her as the favorite there. And then Dominika Sibulkova, uh, she had a run at Wimbledon last year and a former number five, but we haven't seen her top level tennis certainly probably since 2016. Uh, and she's just coming in with the number 32 seed. So again, I see Bianca as maybe the favorite in that match. And wouldn't we love kind of a measuring stick test to see how Andreescu would fare against a player uh, like Sloane Stevens, who would probably be basically her toughest opponent that she would have a chance to face this season, I think. No, it'd be a great match to watch. And as I mentioned, Sloane struggling. I mean, she made the fourth round at the Aussie Open, but she's 5-4 and four so far this season. So since splitting with her uh, coach, Kamal Murray, things have not been clicking for her. 
And for Canadian tennis fans, if that matchup against uh, Bianca happens, um, then yeah, hopefully her, her struggles continue. Also interesting to note that Sloan is playing doubles with Jeannie Bouchard again this year in Indian Wells. And, and while the two haven't had a ton of success as partners, they do seem to have a lot of fun on the court together. That's true. Uh, you're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Remember, find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. Subscribe on SoundCloud. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. Well, that's a good enough transition to get into the meat of this Indian Wells draw. And we'll start on the women's side. Sloan Stevens, as you just well documented her struggles for 2019. Naomi Osaka is the number one seed here. And it's a little perplexing to me uh, that I thought the media made such an issue of of an early round loss to Kristina Mladenovic just a couple weeks ago. Naomi Osaka has won the past two Grand Slam titles and this will be an interesting experience for her arriving at Indian Wells as the defending champion but somehow these questions are already arising and I I think that's because of the controversy of her parting ways with with head coach uh, Sasha Bajan. So I'm interested to see if she can respond to the critics and naysayers and play her top level tennis here. Yeah, and here she is. She might actually face in her first match uh, after a first round bye. She might face Mladenovic actually in the second round, which would be interesting to see how that one goes because the 6-3, 6-3 victory by the French women in Dubai was was shocking to me for sure. Uh, But here Osaka comes in as the defending champ and the world number one compared to a year ago where she was unseated in this very event. Um, I think the pressure is on her right now. I think she's really feeling that in a different way, the media attention. And for someone who is really, you know, introverted at heart, I think this is a whole aspect of the game that's maybe more difficult to deal with than actually facing her opponents on court. But the two are linked together, and clearly she's kind of been affected by it, didn't expect the big uh, media onslaught of questions and attention after she split with her coach. So uh, she's going to have to learn to deal with that side of things. And look, not everyone is cut out to handle the pressure and the media expectations of being the number one player in the world. Uh, It will be interesting to see how Osaka uh, gets back to business here uh, in Indian Wells. Yes, it will. And she's in that top quarter of the draw. Some interesting players lurking as well. Danielle Collins, your semifinalist at the Australian Open. Belinda Bencic probably coming off the best week of her career in Dubai, winning the title there. And then nestled in a couple spots below Naomi, Naomi Osaka is Jeannie Bouchard. She's playing her first round match against Kristen Flipkins. If she gets a win there, she will face Danielle Collins, the, the star college player who did so well at the Australian Open. I like Jeannie Bouchard in this first round match. I I hope she can get through because I'm curious to see how she can handle uh, a player like Danielle Collins and her heavy hitting pace. Yeah, well, it's not like Danielle Collins has been this top level player for for a long time. I mean, she's seeded 25th, had a great Aussie Open. Uh, I mean, that match where she destroyed Kerber 6-love, 6-2 was really something else. So, Tons of confidence at the moment, but it's not like she's a well-established player as of yet. So if Jeannie can get by Flipkins, I think that Collins match is, um, is definitely doable. And uh, beyond that, if she gets a little momentum, if Osaka's still sort of struggling, who knows? But I think it's time for Jeannie to take a bit of a step forward because we've sort of been getting accustomed to her now winning around which is better than she was doing back in early 2018, certainly better than 2017. Now I'd like to see a little bit more progress from her, as I'm sure, obviously, she would as well. So we're not just getting used to one victory, and that's good enough. Let's see if she can put a couple together, and, and I think this draw would allow for that, for that potentially.
Yes, I think that would, and that would set up a potential third-round matchup with Osaka. As you mentioned, uh, interesting quarter. I get at the bottom of the court, you have Karolina Pliskova. Petra Gavitova is in the draw. She's been playing some excellent tennis uh, as of late in 2019. She's the number three seed leading the second quarter. And probably the most interesting quarter of the event on the women's side, I would say, is the third because we have Serena Williams back in the mix. She'll be playing her first tennis since the Australian Open when she uh, surprisingly exited to Pliskova after having that big third set lead. And uh, people kind of pointed to her draw, uh, describing it as nightmarish, I guess. But to me, you have a couple players who, yes, they have been great in the past, but they're not playing their best tennis now. We could see Serena versus Azarenka. Now, obviously, that would be a popcorn match maybe seven, eight years ago. I'm not sure about now. And then Garbina Muguruza has been searching for form for uh, probably over a year now. So I I think Serena Williams can kind of sink her teeth into this draw and, and coast through the first two matches at least. Yeah, I think the Azarenka match would be uh, would be fun to watch, not just for nostalgic reasons, because the two have been around for some time, but I think moms everywhere will be cheering that match on for That's both true. players, because good on both of them to be continuing their careers and, and working hard despite the challenges of, of parenting at home as well. Um, Serena's got a 17-4 and head-to-head record against uh, Azarenka. The last time they met was actually three years ago in this tournament, which uh, Azarenka won the entire event. That was a long time ago, and a lot's changed for both of these women since that time. Uh, Muguruza, as you said, I think is ripe for the picking right now, just the way she's been playing. So Serena can definitely get going here, and and what a difference from a year ago when she was just coming back. In in fact, a year ago today, she was playing the tiebreak tens event in New York City that I was at, and uh, the conditioning clearly wasn't yet there, but the hard hitting and the big serve was. Now she's a year into this comeback, and uh, I think we're going to see some great things from Serena if she can stay healthy. And uh, one last thing about Serena I want to mention is it's just remarkable to me that she first won this very event 20 years ago in 1999 against Steffi Groff, just to put her longevity and incredible continued, uh, you know, consistent success in a perspective it's kind of mind-boggling when you think about it that way yeah that's absolutely extraordinary and just incredibly impressive uh, a matchup we haven't seen in quite some time is serena against sloan stevens if sloan is in form and serena can work her way through the draw that could be a potential quarterfinal which i think would be a fascinating american showdown and then at the bottom of the draw we have simona Halep, the number two seed who i would say has been having you know, a, a kind of an average 2019. She seems to, at most tournaments, get fairly deep, but we haven't seen an actual tournament victory from her. And this is someone who's a number one player and finally notched the Grand Slam last season. So she's probably looking to take a step forward. She has a pretty uh, comfortable draw, at least through her first few matches. That's a potential semifinal as well, her against Serena Williams. And uh, we know Serena won their last match at the Australian Open in three sets. That would be kind of fascinating to see as well. Yeah, I think it's time for Halep to have that, that moment where she, uh, she gets a tournament, which hasn't happened this year yet. But I, I think I was a little too hard on her the last time her name came up a couple of weeks ago because when you think about it, I mean, Aussie Open, tough match to Serena Williams. Yeah. Then she goes to Qatar and makes the, the finals there and loses in three sets. And even recently in Dubai, she came up into the quarters against a very uh, informed Belinda Bencic and lost that one in three sets. So Halep's one I've got my eye on, and she's got a good bottom part of the draw because neither Ostapenko nor Kasakina 
uh, last year's finalist in Indian Wells are, are off to a great start this year. Um, really, you've got Spitalina there in the semis, perhaps, or sorry, the quarters. But yeah, I think Halep's got a good draw to get uh, get going and, and get a deep run here. Yeah, I think so. And uh, Halep and Svitolina have had a lot of excellent encounters in the past, actually. Svitolina leads that head-to-head 4-2. to two. So that would be an interesting quarterfinal as well. Halep beat her at Qatar uh, just a few weeks ago. You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Find us on Twitter at Southpaw underscore Slice. We'll jump over to the men's side. And in terms of storylines, uh, I'm not thinking too far outside the box here. Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, and Rafael Nadal have won 13 of the last 15. Indian Wells titles. I guess the question on people's minds is, is Novak Djokovic going to continue his complete dominance uh, that we have basically seen since Wimbledon of last year? Yeah, well, I mean, he's he's the pick, I guess, despite the fact that he fell in the semis in Doha against uh, Roberto Batista Agu. But it's, it's going to be interesting to see if either him or Federer can uh, separate themselves from each other. They're both tied with five Indian Wells titles in their career. And, and as you mentioned, uh, since 2004, Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal winning all except 2010, where Lubacic, Ivan Lubacic won, and 2018, where Del Potro won. Now, Del Potro's not back this year again, unfortunately, due to his, his body uh, failing him. So Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal, I mean, those are the three guys that, that stand out to me. And, uh, I mean, what do you think when you see the draws that those three big guys were, were given today? Well, it's quite a landmine for Djokovic very early in the tournament. And these are the kind of matchups uh, that Nick Kyrgios lives for. If he can pull off a win to, to start his event, he's going to get Novak Djokovic in the third round of this event. And Kyrgios beat him twice back-to-back in 2017. So he's no stranger to these big matches. He's not... Uh, at all frightened of the occasion. He kind of lives for those moments. Djokovic has to be quite concerned, I think, uh, to face someone like Nick Kyrgios, a dangerous player early in this tournament, someone who's an absolute roadblock and could give him some some definite trouble. I think if he can get get through there, uh, then he has a pretty nice, comfortable path probably to the semifinals of that quarter. Then you go to the bottom quarter, and we have Milos Raonic as the 13th seed. I feel like he's probably a little jaded, had a disappointing tournament in Dubai, the early exit. Uh, he could uh, potentially face Alex Diemenauer in the third round, which would be a very, very exciting match. Diemenauer is one of these young, up-and-coming teenagers who's kind of taken Australia by storm. Such a hardworking player, so fast on the court. And no controversy, and how often can we say that with a young Australian player? <laughs> That's right. That's probably why the Australians love him so much. Uh, he's kind of the polar opposite of a Bernard Tomic or perhaps a Nick Kyrgios. Uh, he is going to grind out every single point and give it its all. Uh, so we'll see what Roundish can do in his quarter of the draw. A couple big servers there. Kevin Anderson, it's been a, a quiet season for, for Anderson after basically a career-best 2018 and an excellent 2017 Uh He's had some time off, I think, to get ready for Indian Wells. We'll see if uh, he can deliver his best tennis. But uh, some tough names looming in the in that quarter with Stefano Tsitsipas. He was in the finals of Dubai last week. And then we flip to the bottom half of the draw, and we could have a potential uh, Nadal-Federer showdown in the semis. Yeah, I think Federer's got probably um, the nicest draw of any of them. You know, he starts perhaps in the second round against veteran Andreas Seppi. Then he might face uh, Fuksovic, who he just beat uh, in Dubai, or Stan Wawrinka. That would be a good one, actually. 
And then it looks like Kyle Edmund or Fabio Fanini as a fourth-round opponent, and neither one of them have been playing uh, super well as of late. And, and Nishikori in the quarters. So I think Federer set up nicely. Nadal could see Russian Medvedev in the fourth round, and, and Medvedev has been the most consistent of the Russian crew as of late, so that could be a tough one. Um, but uh, I'd love to see that Federer-Nadal matchup. I mean, who wouldn't, of course? Yeah, and uh, look, Denis Shapovalov finds himself in Roger Federer's quarter. I don't know if you can uh, set up a potential matchup there. But uh, Shapovalov, I want to say it's been a bit of an up-and-down 2019 for him as well. Kind of a disappointing loss to Mikhail Kukushkin the other week. But uh, sometimes it doesn't show up, I guess, on our ATP stat sheet, just how well he performed for Canada in the Davis Cup tie. And those aren't going to register as ATP wins. But uh, he really showed us something there. He had a nice win over uh, Tomas Burdick a couple weeks ago as well before losing to Vavrenka. Here he's probably going to start, well, he's definitely going to start with an American. Could be either Taylor Fritz or Steve Johnson. And then if you get through there, uh, if you want to catch Marin Chilich, this is the time to catch him. He's really dipped off for the past year, basically since 2018's Australian Open final. So this is yeah, maybe this is where we see things start to click a bit for Chapo. Yeah. And uh, in his defense, I was looking at the guys he's been losing to lately, and I believe his four last losses were against guys who made it to the finals or won the tournament. So there's no shame in that. Sometimes you just come up against a player who's hitting their stride. And I don't know if it makes you feel better or worse to then see them go off and, and make it to the final two. Uh, but it certainly does explain a little bit those uh, results. So here he is. His first match is going to be against uh, American uh, Taylor Fritz or Steve Johnson. I think both of those, um, you know, Shapovalov has a, a very good chance. Uh, Chilich in round three, Nishikori in round four, um, you know, the two that faced each other in that U.S. Open final. Neither would be easy, but uh, he's got to take it round by round. And, uh, and we can't get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, again, I think we've got to be patient, even though it feels like Dennis has been around for a while now and he's in the top 25, top 30, uh, very inexperienced. And we still have to allow for that, that learning curve to uh, develop. Yeah, and I, I think he, I would say he's playing basically the level of his ranking right now, which is number 25. Pretty consistently, I feel like most events, he is beating players ranked below him. Uh, maybe not in Marseille, France a couple weeks ago where Mikhail Kushkin picked up a win. But as you said, Mikhail Kushkin had a fantastic week, ended up uh, going all the way to the finals. So Denis Shapovalov, for the most part, I feel like is taking care of business in matches where he's been the favorite. Uh, then you're looking for that additional step. Can he beat a player uh, ranked above him? And that, that would be the ultimate test here, Marin Cilic in, in round three, if that does occur. Rafael Nadal is in that bottom quarter, as you mentioned, number two. And it is kind of interesting to me, you mentioned Daniel Medvedev. Karen Kachanov is just above him there, and he was definitely our, our pick, uh, especially after late 2018, to be that sort of next superstar Russian, and Medvedev has kind of taken the reins from him. Yeah, Kachanov has, has struggled mightily um, as of late. I scribbled down somewhere here, and I can't seem to find it right now, but his win-loss record is not looking super strong. No, so he's, he's, uh, tailed he, off. he's tailed off a bit, and I'm not quite sure what it is. I mean, he's young as well, so they're going to have ups and downs, but I believe he's in Thomas. Thomas Burdick is in that section of the draw, and I think Burdick could be one of those unseated guys that has a really strong week because he's got a, a nice draw, a second-round potential match against a struggling uh, Kachanov, 
And uh, Burdick might be ranked 81st in the world right now, but nobody's going to treat him like uh, that type of player. No, and a couple veterans there. Tomas Burdick opening his tournament against Feliciano Lopez. Yeah, Karen Hatchinov has dropped uh, three consecutive first-round matches, and the Australian Open was also a disappointment, losing in the third round in straight sets to Roberto Bautista Agu. So a bit of a step back. He's still only 22 years old. To me, he's one of those stars that could certainly win a Grand Slam in his future, but still a long way to go. Felix Ojeda. Aliasim, as we mentioned, he'll get his campaign underway against uh, Cameron Norrie of Britain. So that will be fascinating to see. I'm excited that we have our first uh, Masters 1000 series event, even if it feels like one of the big three is always winning this thing. Yeah, no, me too. Absolutely. I know they often refer to uh, Indian Wells as like the fifth Grand Slam. The players love it. The fans love it. It's a really good setup. Uh, I've been meaning to get down there myself at some point, but uh, I guess I just can't bring myself to leave the freezing cold here in Toronto. <laughs> but uh, it, it does feel like a, a big-time tournament. And, uh, and because we've had these 250-500 levels on the men's side and some smaller ones on the, on the women's side too, it's, uh, it's fun to have a combined event with all the big-name players. Uh, I'm going to be watching a lot of tennis this week. I know you will be too. Yeah, and it's great because this is a 10-day event just kind of getting underway uh, tomorrow, which is Wednesday, all through until next Sunday. A lot of Canadians to watch, and this is the perfect time to watch them. Two 18-year-olds are the ones I'm going to really have my eyes on, Canadian Bianca Andreescu and Felix Ojeh-Aliassime. They're playing some of the best tennis at such a young age. Uh, Mike, thank you as always for joining me, and I'll be excited to probably recap this event in a couple weeks' time. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what's gone down. But looking forward to it, Ben. Me too. I'm glad we're not making uh, any predictions this time. That's oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> I am so glad you didn't ask me because not only have I not had the time to think about it, especially with the men's draw, but. We just suck at it, as most people do. So know, uh, we'll leave that for, for others to debate. <laughs> Sounds good. You've been listening to the South Boss Lights. We will talk to you next time. 